welcome back to this film not rated a branch of the music city drive-in podcast network where we try to not rate what we watched this week while talking full spoilers so there's a bit of a competition here and i think we might have lost track a little bit of the original point of that competition curtis so um i don't know i think if we have any listeners i think they should reach out to us and they should tell us if they think that the idea of a gauntlet or having just one movie be the format of the original show works mm-hmm. better than the original show. Or if the original show was interesting because it put restraints on it, it wasn't the same as just reviewing movies like everyone else. I'm conflicted. I like just talking about movies. That's what we're going to do today. So mm-hmm. let us yeah. know if anyone out there can let us know. Uh, So obviously, you know, in the gauntlet, which we do just for one movie for the end of the show uh, today, you earn points by saying something that's too subjective. Uh, The idea is to try and keep your brain only saying objective things about a movie. If you can't, you hear. But I mean, really, the the big point is we're here to talk about movies we watched. We didn't watch Spider-Man. That'll be next week. So, yeah. So, Curtis, what did you watch this week? I watched Girlfriends and I watched The Deer Hunter. All right. Well, I watched a holiday movie, The Holiday, and I watched Black Widow. But I'm really excited to talk about a movie that I watched. Fortunately, working with Ricky and the Music City Drive-In, I had the opportunity to interview some indie projects, some people. And there's a movie I watched that I'm really excited about called The Spine of Night. So I want to start off, I think we're going to start talking about the holiday. Uh, the director was Nancy Myers, okay. who's done, you know, What Women Want, The Parent Trap, Something's Gotta Give. The holiday, okay. long story short, it's a romance between Jude Law and Cameron Diaz and Kate Winslet and Jack Black, <clears throat> Eli Wallach. And the surprising thing about this movie is it, it really feels like an escape. The idea is it's a holiday, someone going on holiday, right? And it's it's they go on vacation over Christmas leading up to New Year's. And so the idea is the both of them get an escape from their lives, get over what they've lost, and something about them changes and they, you know, fall in love. But there are stylistic choices that make both of them distinct and entertaining. So, you know, I'm a huge fan of Chungking Express, two only barely connected storylines about romance. Right. So these are like interwoven and Jude Law and uh, Kate Winslet are related. So they're more connected and they're intercut, but it's sort of like that. Okay. As my wife will tell you over and over again, the uh, Kate Winslet storyline when she comes to LA Mm. feels so much like a live action slice of life anime. It's not even funny. Uh, They literally use music that is inescapably the idea of an anime. And this is Holidays? The Holiday. The holiday. So now I'm going to have to check it out based on that one. Hang on. (laughs) You you should. You should. Because it's it's a really sweet kind of heartwarming movie. But that's the thing. She meets Jack Black, who's a composer for movies. And he is there to like pick up or drop off mail for Cameron Diaz's ex-boyfriend or whatever. Okay. And he tells her something that he names like the wind that's in the trees, the way it affects the climate where they live. And so now like the wind in the trees is this recurring motif that like pushes characters and accents why they're making the choices they're making. And Kate Winslet is just like 
sometimes just sitting and staring at the wind, like focusing on the weather and not a lot of movement and things like that. Just a lot of visual cues that make you think of Slice of Life anime, at least the ones that I've seen, which is a lot of what you've shown me. So, and then Cameron Diaz on the flip side is going off to like snowy London and she can't stop playing movie trailers in her head. So every time something happens to her, a voiceover of like a a movie trailer guy starts and like announces kind of what's happening to her. Like she didn't expect to fall in love. It's just like, shut up. And so there are twists and turns and deeper things to each character's life. But at its surface, you would expect it to just be like, she has a romance with Jude Law and they fall in love. And then, then she has a romance with Jack Black and they fall in love. If you look at the front cover. But then it's actually like she has a romance with Jack Black because she wants to engage in a supportive way with uh, this guy, Arthur, the elderly gentleman that she's helping put things together. And that relationship is just as important. And then Cameron Diaz is going to fall in love with Jude Law, but he's has daughters. He's a widower. Okay. So that relationship is more complicated. Like it's, it's around the time, I think this is 2006. So it's after, it's around the peak and like in the heyday of the 90s romantic comedy and like coming off the tail end of that. So okay. I think this is taking smart twists on that genre. And honestly, I, I think it holds up but it, at the same, like, it holds up in the sense that it's funny and you don't expect certain things to happen. And it's endearing in what the characters decide to do and how they're affected. Even if you can predict something, you still, it's kind of like exciting to see it happen. Okay. But at the same time, it's a weird time capsule because hearing a character, an older character who was a writer for Hollywood, talk about how glamorous Hollywood was in history is so not the way we think of Hollywood now in 2021. No, yeah. After like all their dirty secrets are unburied and shoveled out and all the skeletons in the closet are now laid out on the floor everywhere. It's 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 just entirely romantic in every sense of the word. But Jack Black fully gets to be Jack Black. Kate Winslet kind of outperforms almost everybody except Jude Law has really holds his own pretty well. And it's, it's funny. The, the American actors, Cameron Diaz and Jack Black, do a decent job, but they're being themselves what they're sold as, as a product. Okay. And Jude Law and Kate Winslet were also both put through that Hollywood machine. She had already done Titanic by now. Jude Law was already Jude Law. It's, it's interesting, though, seeing them carry so much emotional weight mm-hmm. and the other two just being like Cameron Diaz and Jack Doodly Doo Black. Yeah, it, it, it's 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 a weird mixture of of actors that I wouldn't expect to see in the same movie. If I'm yeah, if I'm, minus uh, Kate Winslet and Jude Law, I, I could see them acting in the same movie. You kind of see the relationship between American and European is not necessarily. It, it's it's not so much that it's on the screen, so much as it's in the details of their performances. Mm-hmm. It's like the two of them are so like emotion core based actors whereas jack black and cameron diaz are so product based actors i don't know it's it's bizarre it's kind of hard to define i think for me beyond that i need more words in my life but if someone you know got me a dictionary i guess that would be that would be cool too bad christmas is over girlfriends 
came out in 1978, I want to say. This movie is about basically the interconnecting relationships of girlfriends. Like, uh, friends who are girls? Yeah. Huh? And, and uh, it, it displays all their, con- all their flaws and contradictions and uh, positives and negatives, essentially. And it, 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 it shows it all. And it, the point was... Highs and lows, ins and yeah, outs. And this is this when when I was watching this this movie, uh, it, it looks like like a documentary because that's where the director uh, got got her start in. She, she made documentaries throughout the seventies and eventually got the idea of well, with documentaries, the scripting is usually the last thing that happens during the editing process. What if I started with a story instead? And that's how this idea came to be. And she started like going against like the, the grains a little bit because uh, she wanted the person that you're following to be the essentially what would normally be the side character, the the less conventionally attractive uh, person to the main heroine, and so that's who 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 you're following. And it's kind of like her uh, aimless way through life in New York City and trying to become what she wants to be. The main reason why I wanted to watch this is because it, it, it sounded like it had a, a, a few aspects that I would want to see in something that I would make. Oh, and, well, I think both you and I are a fan of a non-traditional structure of making movies, which is, ironically, we've seen a lot of it, where yeah. the idea is you come up with the beats and the idea of a story, then try and cast really well then the meat of the movie making is working with your actors on set to hit emotional beats and build the movie off of the story in your head with the actors on screen, not necessarily writing a full on screenplay. Right. And that applies to this as, as well, because I watched one of the, one of the interviews on, on the criterion disc for, for this, this director. It's a very, it's very independent movie. Uh, they had to like get the funding for it as they were filming it, mm-hmm. and it started off as this like little side story. And when 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 the funding ran ran uh, ran out for for that story, the director wanted to know. Well, well I want to know what happens next. So she just continued <laughs> making it and it just continued to get funding. And it got to a point where. Uh, so you're trying to simple. You're trying to sum up a story that's in actively avoiding being summed up. Essentially, because the the way it ends is 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 meant to like put that question. Well, no, it's not. Uh, the way it ends is because <laughs> no, because I think this is the hardest I've ever seen you work to describe a movie you've watched. I, I know, think ever because she knows what she wants to do in life. She doesn't know if she wants a relationship with him with with and with another guy. Because when she is dating someone, she specifically keeps her own apartment and keeps paying that rent at just as. A safe haven as this is a place where i can go to it's my own place like dexter <laughs> like dexter but yeah and she's very on on the fence when it comes to uh rom- a uh, uh the the romantic side because she likes the idea of being independent she likes the idea of of living for herself and no one else and so you kind of get this ending where she's all right with what's going on but you don't know where she's going to end up and you know that she's fine with that so it feels like this is messing with your brain. And I love this feeling when I watch a movie where it feels yeah. like you want to rationalize something, which means you're, you're, you're in a place where something, you either have a choice to explain 
what you watched in terms of what you understand, what you already believe and understand. Right. Or you saw something and you can't quite put your finger on what it means to you or what, how to define it and how it makes sense to you. So it's, it's new in a sense, like you're getting a new perspective on something or you're feeling something different than you usually do along those lines. Yeah. So um, um, the question that I want to ask you then, what do you feel like this is going to sound so stupid and I really don't care. Y'all can suck it out there. What do you want to do? If you like were free to do whatever you wanted and you had the money to do what you wanted tomorrow, mm-hmm. what do you want to do based on watching this movie? Um, it makes me want to get my own thoughts in order. Like, like if it, in, in, in a sense, uh, like get organized. Yeah. Like, like, like find an organization yourself and put your things together and kind of feel. Yeah. Because the movie is messy in, in that sense uh, is like brief timeline. Uh, movie starts out, uh, close friends get a new apartment together in New York and they're planning on, on decorating it. Not long after they get this apartment, the friend, uh, gets engaged and is moving out. So you get a sense of betrayal from the person who has the apartment and is now left with that. Now struggling to pay rent, uh, keep keeping the lights on, doesn't know if anyone is around that she can trust or even talk to. And it's just a complete downhill spiral until a point where it seems like things are going back up. And Mm. then events happen that cause things to go back down. And it's kind of like that up and down roller coaster throughout the entire movie. Just like the highs and lows of a person just living their life. Yeah. So it kind of makes you want to like live your life and not be idle about it. Yes. Okay. Do you have a favorite scene or something? I'm asking you the questions of the gauntlet, like because you're not I in know. it. So. Well, oh, that's that's fair. Um, uh, let's see. Um, there is, and I, I think it. I think this scene actually sums up the movie per, per, um, 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 pretty well. So the person is a photographer. She finally gets her big break. And is able to show her her photography at 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 an art show display. She has the option to tell the director where where and how she wants her photos arranged. And she says, "Well, I'll leave it up to you, and then I'll come by later and and and, and give my thoughts on it." Well, she forgets to come by later because events because events happened that make her lose track of time. And so when she gets there, things aren't quite the way that she wants them to be. And the director's response is, "Well." I didn't have time is no is is not and is not an, an excuse. You're in the big leagues now. So the the event still goes well, but it's 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 kind of like a, a lesson in being on the ball and never losing track of what you need to do. The spine of night. The directors are Morgan Galen King and Philip Gellett. It's credited as a horror animation. I would say it's more of a horror fantasy. Okay. Um, it is the story of a woman who once lived in peace among her people in a swamp in a Middle Earthian Game of Thronesian world. And they live in nature with this thing called the bloom. It's a blue flower that has grown and has existed for a while and it has magical properties. And one day, this, these people come in, violently butcher everyone but the lead, voiced by Lucy Lawless. And she's taken to this king, voiced by Patton Oswalt. She gives, she's given one opportunity to uh, show how the magic works, and she lights his face on fire. She's imprisoned. Her woods are burned down. 
And she meets a scholar who tries to stick up for her life. Mm-hmm. And that is that is everything so far when I'm getting into it up to this. It's like all the setup of the movie. The point is there's this, this framing device because that little meat of that little story where the scholar tries to help her and then she tries to get out mm-hmm. um, is the kickoff to centuries passing where that scholar lives through centuries and she is dead through centuries. You see what happens as the scholars of the world have formed a community that gains too much power because of the magic of the bloom and begins to try to domineer and take over the entirety of the populated world. So here's the thing. The worst of the worst of this movie is you have people uh, and where their voice acting work sounds like someone who's taking Dungeons and Dragons too seriously. Oh, so you have, for example, uh, Patton Oswalt voicing a king. Mm-hmm. But it's not funny. It's not a joke. And I don't know. Something about the, 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 the dialogue feels melodramatic when you're not using an English accent. How dare you trespass upon our private land instead of how dare you trespass upon our private land, you know? But here's the thing. That is, that's the worst of it. And then there's some issues, obviously, with the style of animation that they're promoting, which isn't, hasn't been used a lot, where you, you try and cover natural human movements but the people are moving unnaturally so that they can be rotoscoped and then the movements end up looking unnatural like some face movements and some things like that but apart from that the movie is so for lack of a better term metal it's like heavy as shit and gory and naked and bloodbathy and dark and creepy and and yeah nasty in the best ways when uh, the people come in to attack the swamp, uh, someone swings a metal object into somebody's face, it cleaves a piece of their face off. And you see the skull pieces, you see the tendons, you see everything. Somebody hacks someone into their back, you'll see like like layers of fat and layers of like other little bodily organs and things like that hacked out of them. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's it's so intense and and full of consequence for something that's just animated yeah um later on there are characters and i don't think i ever even learned their names it's just three people i only ever saw one of their eyes but they wear uh the front cover of plague doctor's mask so it looks kind of like a bird beak and they wear wings basically like a canvas that that helps them glide and that's pretty much all they wear it's like this team of three people who are watching their castle under siege and then retaliate flying out to take over one of the flying ships from the evil scholars. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just the intensity of it. After watching people fly apart, like paste, you, you, it, you feel like, like there's nobody is safe. Nobody has plot armor. Nobody can do martial arts to the point that they're better than anybody else. Everybody can die. And so it feels really mortal and vulnerable all over the place. And I f- like, I feel like part of the reason they wanted to do this animated was so that, you know, it, they could get away with doing a lot of the nudity, a lot of the gore and things and still have it released. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the, the other thing about like, they were like, keep it as human as possible. And I think that's why they might've done this type of animation. I don't know. I haven't interviewed the people yet. But I have a lot of questions for them because, damn, if this isn't going to be like a cult classic, then I have no idea what makes anything a cult classic because this is absolutely going to be something. 
it was yeah. it was so so engrossing to watch i don't want to put a ton of twists and turns in it i'm just saying the spine of the night is something that people should definitely go see and um but not not everyone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you will know very, very quickly if this is not for you. If your gut tells you this is not for you, shut it off. Because right. there is no reason for you to put yourself through some of the things that you have to go through in order to watch this. So, Deer Hunter. Yeah, let's lighten things up. Let's talk about the Deer Hunter. But it was, was lighten things up with the movie about Russian roulette and how war. Uh, can can mentally handicap, physically handicap, and emotionally handicap you. Yeah, people have seen The Deer Hunter. It's a romp. (laughs) Classic romance about Robert De Niro and Christopher Walken. Going into this, I like I, I got this because I I I got this on 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 impulse because I've heard about it before. I I knew a little bit about it. You're the one who gave me more insight and how it's 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 essentially a, a war drama. And so when 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 I started watching this. And you go through like an hour of the wedding. Mm-hmm. My first thought was, okay, so we're doing this to like set up the characters. We're getting to know them. Well, it's hard because it's easy. I'm sorry. It is easy to dismiss that, right? Because I, I caught myself thinking of that. I got I got this because I everyone always talks about the roulette sequences. And I wanted to write something that involves a roulette sequence that you know about. Yes. And so I wanted to think about like how to show something with consequence versus something feeling like disposable self-important action. And that, that work of showing someone living their life and living the highs of their life and, mm-hmm. and the familiarity of home, that's, that's really important to the roulette sequences and to some of the things that you run into later. So yeah. yeah. No, no, for sure. So you get to know all these characters individually and how they work as as a group and then it hard cuts straight to a war scene and you're just kind of like thrown into the middle of it yeah it's it's almost like the movie itself is, is trying to to shock you it's it's a very jarring jump it's because when during the war scenes it, it, it's kind of like just jumping between segment to segment there's no real connection between that first scene where robert de niro sees the the, the one vietnam uh, killed the, the the family hiding in the ground with with a grenade and you, you go from that to well they're already captured and you get to the first roulette scene then instantly well, you, you you get to see how how just listening to the roulette being played is is messing with the prisoners men, uh, uh, mentally and then mm-hmm. you get to see christopher walken play it with uh, robert de niro and it, it's just like a, a a catalyst for everything else that happens later on in the movie so it's, you know me you know i didn't go to vietnam but by all accounts, what you said, that's, I know somebody who was in Vietnam, but they're passed away. Rest mm-hmm. in peace. And I never knew if he watched this or not. For him and for all the people around him that he lived, there's a, there's a jarringness to what your life all of a sudden became and how quickly America changed, even though it felt yeah. like everything happened so rough and quick and you got thrown through hell on earth then you come back and you don't come home because it's not home right you get spit at and and the entire revolution of an anti-war movement in america you go into vietnam war in the america that came out of world war ii you come back from vietnam in the america post-vietnam right the quick cut smack into war yeah yeah i thought that was the point this is not a movie about 
someone goes from home into war and then you end up in war. This is a movie about someone who is at peace at home, thinks they want to go to war, goes and bam, war smacks him upside the head. Then there's specific story because that's kind of the thing in Vietnam is it's about people's specific individual experiences. This is the story of people who ended up prisoners of war doing a specific odd torture and how they brought that home to a different world and it never ended. Yeah, and and that's kind of where, where I was about to go into. Like you get to see uh, how, how they were for, you get to see the the catalyst incident and you could see everything afterwards. Because when when Robert De Niro come, comes home, mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't want to come home to fanfare. Like specifically, he sees that 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 they're going to celebrate his return and he tells the, the driver to drive on. Maybe he wants to be alone, to not hatch and to not be, be uh, celebrated. And uh, you have uh, the, the friend who lost the legs, not wanting to come home because he doesn't feel like he belongs. He feels like he's, a, he's an outcast now. Like I think he bluntly says, I don't fit in anymore. And then Christopher Walken just never comes home. He's like literally stuck in the mindset that he was left in. And just, I don't exactly know what, what actually went, went on. Cause it, it, obviously there's, there's something going on with his memory. They have several scenes that um, just, just, just dedicated to what looks like showing him going through memory degradation to the point where, when at the end of the, of, of, of the movie, where, where uh, Robert De Niro meets him for the final time has no idea who, who, who he is. I, 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 I'm guessing that has to do with something like post-traumatic stress or it's, it's, it's a coping mechanism to deal with all the horrors that he saw. Memory and the way that it functions mm-hmm. can be screwed with uh, insanely by trauma. Now, remember, this is a movie. I know it is based on something and there's, there's truth a lot in it. But the idea I thought for Christopher Walken is a little bit of Shutter Island. He can't rationalize moving past that instant in instance in his life. I mean, he's a character who's so afraid and, and, and has to accept the idea that he's dead right then and there in Vietnam, that it's almost like he's not comfortable with the fact that he lived. So something like survivor's remorse, almost maybe it's just, it's so unique to that. And that's the thing about Christopher Walken in the movie. And he, in the end, whether he actually knows Robert De Niro or not, this is the shutter Island bit. He's not gonna, he's not gonna admit that he does because he doesn't, he doesn't want to live like this. You, you get a glimpse of his character coming back. Yeah. And then he pulls the trigger. And so that, that leaves you with, with a question is, did, did he remember and just didn't want to live and that's why he pulled the trigger or did he slip back into what he was? Yeah. And you don't know. Yeah. And then yeah, the, the way this movie ends, singing uh, God, God Bless America or something along those lines. I can't remember the, the, the exact song, but it's, 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 it's a very mournful dinner scene. The song it's, it's, itself is, is giving praise and thanks to what America is. While at the same time, the context of the scene is acknowledging that we have to go through these rough and turmoil times of loss and suffering and pain to be able to live that life again. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. It's, and that's the thing. The, the big issue about Vietnam, uh, at least one of the big issues about Vietnam is, is did that need to happen? Or yeah. could we have just been America? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the twisted thing. I think the story of Deer Hunter is there was so much romance about the idea of fighting for what you had at home. Mm -hmm. And you have to turn that violence against yourself instead of the enemy. 
is such a twisted perversion of that romantic idea. Yeah. And so it's a person who has to live out the most horrific answer to the question, do I get to fight for my country? Yeah, yourself in the head. And what that does to people and 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 just I, 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 you go into it and everyone talks about these scenes like these scenes matter. And I think sometimes people forget that these scenes don't just happen in a vacuum. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a whole thing. And it's a very long movie, but it, I, I think it's long for a reason. It's a movie it that is. I can't see missing too much. No. There, there, there's, there's that sense of camaraderie, not, not, not just from before they were uh, War Brothers, but because they were War War Brothers, and and you get to see how the roulette messed with Robert De Niro's head a, a little bit during the deer hunting scene after he comes back, and John John Cassavetes, yeah, is, is pointing the loaded pistol at someone, and it, it, it's for him and the other guy. It's kind of like this fun joking thing. He walks in and, and is instantly like, this is a situation that I've got to disarm and makes a very clear point on what on, on what they're doing is insanely stupid and dangerous for no good reason. So Eric has chosen Marvel's Black Widow for the gauntlet this time around. Eric, you already know the rules to the gauntlet. So let's just jump right into this. Black Widow, is it a good or bad movie? Black Widow was criticized more heavily than I think it would have been if it came out when the movie is actually set. What was your favorite scene in the movie? There was a surprising amount of weight to the combat in every action sequence performed by Florence Pugh. So the sequence between her with her meeting Black Widow, regardless of whether or not that scene should have happened based on the both of them knowing one another's mental state had the most physical weight of many action sequences that Black Widow's been in in any movie. Okay. But, uh, yeah. Uh, what would you remove from this movie? You know, and I can't say that this is to this movie. So I'm, I'll say I'll say nothing. But when we get to, uh, I'm gonna also have to take a point when it says, what is this movie missing? Anyways. Okay. Who is the best actor and who is the worst actor? Uh, Florence Pugh played uh, Yelena and I believed everything about her performance. Okay. Olga Kurilenko played Taskmaster. And after the first two scenes with Taskmaster, I didn't believe shit. What is your favorite quote from the movie? I actually am struggling with this. Not with giving an answer, but I have many that I would want to give. Um, okay. That would be in direct contrast with me. I can't think of a single quote from this movie that, 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 that I would want. There is Black Widow's payoff to thank you for your cooperation. There is Yelena's appeal to the family about them not acting like what they had was fake. Um, right. It was one of my more favorite scenes from the movie. Okay buzz to you too bitch i'm not um, in the gauntlet bitch so <laughs> um <laughs> the oh 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 uh the way that um david harbour there we go the way that he talks about rachel wise's character she's like fox mm. okay. but that payoff i think with black widow like uh, just as a standalone line when she says thank you for your cooperation right before she smashes her nose in mm -hmm. that one 
Okay. What is this movie missing? A first movie. What did you enjoy from the story? Surprisingly, um, the relationship between Florence Pugh and Black Widow, the sort of tour that Black Widow was taking of her past, the aesthetic pulled from Civil War on jumping from location to location and shooting a combination of shaky cam and choreography that is like pretty well mixed up. And uh, just the, the, a lot of the stunt work. Oh, sorry, from the story. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, because there's the movie making and story. This question is story, that is movie making. So there's stuff I enjoyed from you movie making and you know that. Yeah. But um, story-wise, to me, having that grounded bit of them as children, anchoring that these characters meant something to one another, I didn't expect it to be as important as it was that... Ah, fuck it. <laughs> I'm, I'm screwed today. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be as important as it was to take a family and give it to Black Widow to reflect the idea that she had a family with the Avengers. So th- just to have it mean so much to her to have important people in her life, if, if they had expanded more in a first movie on why she's so self-critical and why she thinks she doesn't deserve something that she had, and this was a second movie pushing her to interact with what she had, and accept it, mm-hmm. you'd then have a sort of third movie payoff across Infinity War and Endgame where she sticks up for this other family that she's earned and then sacrifices herself for it. Right, okay. And you'd sort of have a Black Widow trilogy arc of self-forgiveness, which is different from every other hero in the MCU. So we already did uh, the movie-making thing. I'll just probably flip those around or just keep it as is. Yeah, I've earned enough points, okay? Let's, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what would make you watch this again? Dude, anything that would make me watch any, like, I would watch this before I would watch Civil War. <laughs> and that's like a <laughs> double buzz because that's a huge opinion to throw out there. But like, for one, just wanting the characters to take themselves seriously and feel heartfelt in a Marvel movie that still feels like a Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. For two, the aesthetic. I don't think it felt like a spy movie. The same way I don't feel like Ant-Man felt like a heist movie. They just feel like superhero movies, okay? But this one is unique to Black Widow. And, and like, I, I don't know. It just, to me, that just, I don't know. Anyways. Yeah. Okay. And now, final question. Would Nicolas Cage make this movie better? Would Nicolas Cage have been a better Black Widow in the Black Widow? Like, you get to the standalone movie. You know how Yelena's giving her a bunch of crap for how she goes down and poses and flips her hair back? Yeah. Imagine Scarlett Johansson does like a backflip and twists around a guy's head and lands on the ground and flips her hair back and it's Nicolas Cage. (laughs) I absolutely think that that would be awful. But to be real with you for a second, Mm -hmm. Nicolas Cage as Red Guardian actually might have made this movie better. I like David Harbour a lot. So I, I, that should be just one buzz, but whatever. Like he's about to have a new movie come out about Nicolas Cage. He stars himself as himself. Mm. about his relationship with his fame and his fandom mm-hmm. and the idea that marvel movies are what's famous and popular right now and that character romanticizes himself as someone who could have been one of the best mm. oh okay to have nicholas <laughs> cage play like 
someone who thinks of himself as so self-important in a universe already populated by the Avengers. <laughs> I think he could have been pretty damn good in that position. Okay. The only issue I think would have been him doing the Russian accent. So <laughs> fair enough. So, so yeah, I-, I clattered my way out of that and took all the points. So that's fine. It, it, it happens from, from, from time to time. Okay. I lost, I, I lost last season. So this is appropriate. One of the things that that didn't make sense to me though was was I I I didn't get Taskmaster for that character, dude. Taskmaster was so not like for one, the character just fought like Captain America. If you needed someone to fight like Captain America, just have him fight like Captain America. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't just that, but like the 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 idea that 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 the father had to control the girl's mind in in order to make her fight Black Widow, and Black Widow is the direct reason why she's like that. There's there's already plenty of um, built-in motivation for 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 her to hate Black Widow, and it caused a pointless contradiction because uh, everybody else who's been put under mind control, it's not set. They didn't need microchips to be under mind control. Yeah, so it doesn't make sense that the red dust frees her from mind control. The character never speaking, and it, it just the, they introduce Taskmaster. They have a couple of really cool scenes with the stunt work with Taskmaster. I'm not yeah. gonna lie, when he showed up, I was laughing in a joyful way because it felt exactly like in the Spider Man game, the PS4 game, when Taskmaster comes out of nowhere and is just like, "Bah, you gotta fight me now." I do like like that initial fight scene with with uh, Black Widow and and the sister because there's there's additional meaning behind the fight scene outside of it just being a fight scene these are our strange sisters that don't really get along it looks like and that kind of shows through and that's fine and yeah all the emotional scenes where it's it's uh, the, the family's back together and 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 it's the farmhouse and when when uh, red red guardian goes to the sister's room and starts singing the song that she liked as a kid as a way to build to rebuild that emotional r- rapport that was lost over over those years like there's some really well-written scenes and that could have been undercut with a joke and wasn't so the last thing i'll say about black widow is um about where i put it on the shelf and where i put it on the shelf is right before thor ragnarok in between civil war but not immediately before infinity war takes place and here's why nothing in that movie is not served better by having possibly seen it by then can you imagine that post credit scene, regardless of you not knowing, because we weren't originally going to know who uh, that character was at yeah. N- Natasha's grave. First yeah. of all, you would have been at Natasha's grave and you would have been like, what? And then she would have said Hawkeye was responsible. And then she would have shown you the first picture that would have teased Ronan. Ooh. And okay. so when you, when you go into Infinity War, it would have been like, where's Hawkeye? Nowhere. What the fuck? And then, then when we went into Infinity and then you go into Endgame. Where's where where where's Hawkeye? He's he's Ronin. Yes. And then when you get into the movie theater, the ride would have been that they're together. That she's the one that tracks him down. And there's like this ticking clock, thinking that he's going to kill her. Yes. Yes. Then okay, we would have okay, seen okay. what happened. Okay. So that that works crazy well. And then also just her the idea that her costume would have meant a little bit more because she got that coat instead of this being a retroactive thing. Mm-hmm. It would have been like a progression. Like it fits in the story as a thing. She gives her this thing. She keeps it. While yeah. she has this idea that family is important, she's wearing her sister's vest the whole time. Right. It layers. Yeah, that, 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 that would have worked better for, 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 for sure. And, and, and instead of what we got now, which is, hey, you want to know where, where she got that coat, right? You want to know how Han Solo got his last name? <laughs> yeah. 
So like it's it's crazy how well this movie actually feeds into the story if you put it in the story. Well, I think I think that I think that does it for this episode of this film not rated. Yep. And thank you all for listening. So remember, we're a branch of the Movie City Drive-In Podcast Network. So go look up everybody else. Film Optics was working on reviewing the Matrix movies before that came out. Now showing definitely has a Spider-Man No Way Home part spoiler review on there. So if you're looking for other movie reviews, you got some decent stuff out there. So go enjoy that. I'm Eric. You can find me on Twitter at High Contrast FLM. And you can find me on TikTok at High underscore Contrast underscore EWL and on YouTube at High Contrast, even though it's hard to search me or whatever. And I'm Curtis. You can follow me on Twitter at 90sGamer407. And you can follow me on Twitch at Merrick underscore Tainment, where I do video game streaming every Tuesday and Thursday night from 11.30 p.m. to 2 a.m. and an anime watch party every Friday from 11.30 p.m. to 2 a.m. So if you're interested in anime or video games, come by and hang out. It's always a good time. Let people feel things in your superhero movies. <laughs> <laughs>